Hey, Shellheads, it's Kevin here. Just thought I'd get ahead of the podcast and let you all know that this week we had to use our backup audio because we had some some microphone problems. I, I, I think it was actually problems with the recording software. But either way, it pays to have backups, so that is why it's going to sound like Sean is calling us from prison, but I assure you he is not in prison, and you don't have to worry about that. And everything should be good for next episode, but just letting you know why this episode might sound a little different. Thought I'd get ahead here and let you know. So thank you very much for listening. Let's start the show. Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. I'm Sean Flanagan. And we are your Ninja Turtle nerds. We're a weekly podcast that's going to cover the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. One, I don't know, I don't have an adjective for this one. One time-traveling issue at a time? I feel like I might have done that one already. <laughs> one past issue? Yeah, mm-hmm. one return-to-continuity issue, even though technically that was last week when continuity started back up again. Either way, guest era, faded, we're into the continuity zone. How's your week been, Sean? Good, good, a little crazy. Not not bad, though. Uh, I beat the first two Spyros. I'm on Spyro 3, and it, it brought me back to a simpler time. Did, did you know Spyro 3 has skateboarding segments? Pretty much every game from back then, you either had to pick, you had to do skateboarding or snowboarding. <laughs> like, it always stands out, it's funny to me, the snowboarding parts in Final Fantasy VII. It's like, oh, I see when this game was made. Yeah, so, I, it, it's just very funny to me that that's in a collect-a-thon game. <laughs> because skateboarding was so popular that they had to throw it in there. I'm assuming you played, like, the Switch version, like, the new remasters? Yeah. Yeah. I've never played a Spyro game. That's, not, that's uh, on my blind they're spot. They're all right. They're not uh, amazing, but, you know, I mean, they're, they're decent collectathons. I definitely see, they kind of remind me of Banjo, I guess. I guess that's the closest thing I can think of to compare it to. Well, I'm almost done collecting all the cards in Final Fantasy IX, which is a goal I've always had, and I think I'm one of the only people who prefers that card game to the one it ha- they set up in Final Fantasy VIII. Like, I love the card game in IX. And then it's like two seconds until I'm done. And then once I'm done, I've been, I, I texted you about this this week, I'm setting up like, I don't want to call it a bucket list, but like, a list of games I've owned forever. And, like, I never finished them. You know those? They just, like, you bought them. It's a game you've, like, played the first hour of a hundred times but never made it further. Yeah. yeah. So I think next I'm going to move on to Final Fantasy X-2 because I stopped the series at 10. And then after that I've got, like, Xeno Gears from back in the PlayStation day. Um, I want to play all the Crash Bandicoots. I have that on my Switch, the trilogy. Oh, yeah, that's, that's in my back catalog. I want to beat Fur Fighters. There's a niche, like, little game that a lot of people aren't familiar with. It was on Dreamcast, and then eventually they put it out on PlayStation 2. It's a third-person shooter where the characters are all these, like, 
adorable animals like uh like like cats and dogs and pandas and stuff and um and yeah it's a third person shooter that uh they tried to make into a franchise but i guess it didn't sell well but it's a really good game and i like playing it on the dreamcast and then like like little stuff like super metroid i never finished uh, oh that's on my list too i that's a game i've started 20 times i think Skies of Arcadia, another Dreamcast game that I've started a thousand times, but I don't know. It just didn't get its hooks into me, but I, I made a, a big old list, and I don't think I'm going to have to buy any new games for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like, I, I made a list. Like, you know what? You should probably play all this stuff. So Yeah. Skies of Arcadia, I, I vaguely remember. It's a... Turn, it's like a JRPG, it's turn-based combat, and it's like, space, not space, uh, sky pirates, like they have like, flying airships. Oh yeah, they don't have that JRPGs ever. Oh, it's like another one of those games where like, all, every area is like a, an island floating in the sky. Like every, everything's Cloud City. I feel like that was a big thing. Sky islands. Little Jetsons say, in the woods. I'm trying to think of a recent game where Sky Islands factored in big. I mean, Skyward Sword, if you consider that recent. Xenoblade, maybe. Uh, I never played that. That's maybe I'll play that after I play Xeno Gears and Xeno Saga is on my list. I don't know if that's a uh, popular game a lot of people know about, but. I remember when that game was first announced, I completely bought into the hype. They like in all the magazines at the time, they were like, "It's going to be a six-part series. The story's all planned out. It's it's like it's going to be this big epic thing, and and it we know it's a six-part series." And then by the time they put the second game out, <laughs> they were like, "Yeah, the third one's going to be the last one." <laughs> yeah, like, what happened to six? I remember that game's famous for being one of those games where once you start it, you have to sit through like an hour and a half of cutscenes before you can even do anything. Yeah, you got time. So this week we're talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issue 46. It's called Masks Part 1. It was written by Michael Dooney, drawn by Michael Dooney with inks by Keith Aiken and lettering by Mary Kelleher. And it came out in April of 1992. So let's go take a look at April of 1992. This month in entertainment. Movies from April 1992. There wasn't much, there were a lot of movies released, not a lot I recognized. I just have a few here. So there's Beethoven, the first Beethoven movie, which I always mistakenly have to, like, remind myself that it's not Steve Martin who plays the dad in that movie. <laughs> it's the late, great Charles Grodin. And then Fern Gully came out that month, so Robin Williams' vehicle there. Wasn't there something about Robin Williams doing Fern Gully because he was mad at what they did with Aladdin? I'm, I'm just going to say this in case some listeners don't know, so... Robin Williams did Aladdin, and, like, one of the things in his contract is he di- he wanted to do the the movie, but he didn't want to be the center of the advertising for the movie, and then Disney totally made him the center of the advertising for the movie, even though they said they wouldn't, so he was upset about that, and I think he did Fern Gully 
at, which was like a low budget movie as like a a middle finger to Disney for that or something. I I, I don't know the full story, but it sounds like that might be it. Let me look this up for a sec, because I, I think Fern Gully is one of the rare Don Bluth movies I like. <laughs> it's the one where the guy gets shrunk and he sees the fairies who are, like, all about saving nature, and he was working for a logging company, and there's a giant logging machine that is inherit that is, like, possessed by this, like, evil spirit uh, that's it, made of smoke. Tim Curry. Yes. <laughs> it was a magical time. All right, I guess it's not Don Bluth movie, but Christian Slater was in this? Wow. <laughs> he needed some money. Because <laughs> well, you always remember Tim Curry and Robin Williams in it. it, it all right, Christian Slater was the tiny guy. Yeah, that's, yeah. All, that's a stacked cast for something like Fern Gully. Like, it, I feel like it didn't get promoted as much as you would think with a cast like that. And then another movie that came out in April of 1992, Rockadoodle, which I think we've brought up on the podcast before. I can't remember if we did it in this segment, but the where the confusion comes in is I think we said it came out a different month, but apparently it came out in Europe in 1991, and its U.S. release date was April 3rd, 1992. So Rockadoodle was out in Europe, like, almost a full... Yeah. So the Rockadoodle saga continues. I know that I know they have fans over at Turtle Tales Radio. Yeah, Turtle Tales Radio. Newsies also came out in April of ninety two and Sleepwalkers. And the Neil was, you know, trying to sell the paper. Oh yeah, wasn't that his first role? No. No, Empire of the Sun was his first That's role. That's what it was, yeah. This yeah, yeah. was still just kind of funny to go back and be like Oh, it's Batman. <laughs> you know what the problem with his Batman voice was? And I'm not the first to say this. It worked in Batman Begins. Because in Batman Begins, they didn't give him paragraphs of dialogue to say. If you watch that movie, he says like one sentence at most at a time. He'll just, I'm trying to think of something he says in Batman Begins. But, like, he'll just say like, leverage. You know what I mean? Like, it works there. It doesn't work when you're delivering a whole monologue about this city is needs the good and the good people in the city. And it's like, it gets ridiculous the longer it goes on. Yep. <laughs> Can you drive stick? That is in Batman Begins. That's not a good line. But, <laughs> but that's it. It's not him going, well, hold on. It wiggles a little and you get to move the seat. Yeah. And <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I know there was, like, I think in the script something about him using, like, a, a thing that disguises his voice. They should have gone with that and ran with it a little better, That like they did in the in the eventual the Ben Affleck Batman. Yeah. Zack Snyder, he, he did it that way, yeah. So the number one uh, movie out of all those, by the way, was Beethoven, somehow made $57 million on a budget of $18 million. On. You remember how cool that movie was when it came out? Dave Duchovny's in it. Not a lot of people remember that. I <laughs> didn't remember that at all. Uh, I'm looking at the cast. He played Brad Wilson. I don't know who that is, but Dave Duchovny is Brad Wilson in the first Beethoven. I remember I saw Beethoven second in the theater, and it was like a big deal. 
Did that launch, like, the craze of all the dog movies we eventually got, like... Air, well, was, Air Bud was in there, too. I think Air Bud is more of the one that did it, because a lot of the dog movies were, like, sports-themed, you know? You, you had, like, well, Snow Buddies was, like, about sled dogs, I think. You had the Homeward Bound remake. That, the sequel. Yep. Yeah, I don't know, the, the, Mid nineties was big on animal centered movies. Somewhere there's somebody whose entire movie collection. They have like one of those old DVD racks that you'd get at like Strawberries. I don't even know if Strawberries is like an international chain, but we it was like a, a music and movie store where we lived. And somewhere somebody has a whole DVD rack of just dog movies. <laughs> like, like so they got all the Air Bud movies, like he plays basketball here, soccer here, this, that. And then this one's about snow puppies, and this one's about puppies that save Christmas, and this one's about, <laughs> this one's about and a puppy only, that makes it home. The only movie they've bought recently was Cats, and it's because they misunderstood what it was about. <laughs> Moving on to music of April of 92, we've got pretty much a domi- another dominated month. The first three weeks are Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams, which means that song was on top for five weeks because it, it was last month too, had two weeks. I always then, think of the color parody of it. I, I never think of the real song. Well, we've got a new champion starting here. April 25th, the last week of April, and you'll hear this again next episode, the number one song was Jump by Criss Cross, and that song was so big that it was number one for eight weeks in a row, beating the previous champion from our podcast. I'm sure there's songs that have done it longer, but as far as what we've had here, the previous champion was Michael Jackson was number one for seven weeks, Criss Cross eight weeks. Crisscross. Wearing your pants backwards never came back. This is the only podcast where Crisscross is beating Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, as far as we've been tracking so far since we started doing this segment, that's the longest number one. So you you got a preview of next episode. Next episode, it's going to be all Crisscross for the number one song. (laughs) It was a simpler time. (laughs) video games the nintendo power i'm not that into wrestling so i don't have that much to say about this but the cover of nintendo power was hulk hogan and i don't even know the wrestler that he's jumping on top of it's a large man in overalls i don't know who it is but it Uh, says uh, large man in overalls that doesn't narrow it down for me at all i'll bring i'll bring it up in a sec it's it's the caption says WWF Super WrestleMania. I'm guessing that was the game. High Impact Superstar Action. And then I like this. It says CD-ROM Tech Update in 1992. <laughs> so they must have been working on the PlayStation at the time. Sony worked with Nintendo on a device called the PlayStation as two words, which was going to be like basically how they had Sega CD there was going to be like a Super Nintendo CD system. And eventually that fell apart, and Sony just put the words together and made their own PlayStation. <laughs> but yeah, that and must be what the CD-ROM tech update's about. 
both, both companies went to dire straits, clearly. There's a good documentary about this called Console Wars. And oh, it's, yeah. Yeah, it talks about how Sony also came to Sega. And basically, Sony tried working with Nintendo. Sony tried working with Sega. And when they couldn't get anything going, I think they also tried working with a third company. I can't remember who. But when all three of those failed, they were basically like, you know what? We'll put out a system on our own. We'll compete. We'll be the third. Because at that point, there was only really two guys. There was always like a third thing in the background, like the Atari Jaguar or like the 3DO. But nobody could afford those things, so they didn't count. And it was just Nintendo and Sega and then... Sony swooped in. I remember the Jaguar. My neighbor across the street had it. It's one of the most obnoxious controllers ever. Yeah, it's got like a phone controller. I love playing Jaguar on emulators because you can totally, like, I can see the games I couldn't afford at the time. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't have my mom waste all her money on this. So TV events. There's some cool ones in here. On April 29th, Batman... The 1989 Batman film made its broadcast television premiere on CBS. So that was the number one grossing film of 1989. And then in 92, probably getting ready. When did Batman Returns come out? It was probably gearing up to promote that. I know it came out in 92. I just don't know what month. Yeah, June, I think. June. So that's definitely what they were doing. They're like, all right, Batman Returns is out in two months. Everyone get a load of Batman. And then TV events, the Nickelodeon time capsule was buried at Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando, Florida. So I tried to find as best I could what's inside this time capsule that is supposed to be opened in 2042. So it was a 50-year time capsule. So inside this time capsule is Home Alone and Back to the Future on VHS. Ooh. Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Em by MC Hammer. And Michael Jackson's Dangerous <laughs> album. I wonder if those are vinyls or if it's probably cassette tapes. Because I don't think CDs were big at the time. There's a Nintendo Game Boy in there. A pair of Reebok pumps. A jar of Gak, which I didn't think Gak was out yet. I felt like I was a little older when that started. A Joey Lawrence Woe 92 hat that he brought and personally gave for the television special <laughs> where they made this this time capsule. Whoa. <laughs> Nobody's going to know what that is in 2042. They barely know what it is in 2021. We're and not going to remember what that is. That's what I'm saying. Like, people our age have already forgotten what Joey Lawrence going, whoa, is... <laughs> There's also some, uh, you know, more depressing things in there. A lot of, like, news clippings. It says news reports about a girl standing on top of a Soviet tank in Red Square during the communist hardliners coup. Uh, that was, the event happened in August of 91. And it says coverage of the AIDS crisis, desert, desert storm, and the end of the Soviet Union. So those are in the time capsule. And then for this, this really frustrated me. So for reading material, they put in there a world atlas, a history book, a phone book. That's funny. Uh, the, the Orlando TV guide for the week of April 30th, 1992, a copy 
of Book of Endangered Species. That's depressing. So <laughs> they're going to open that in 2042 and be like, all right, which of these guys is still around? They also put it in issue of Nickelodeon Magazine. And the one that frustrates me, even though it just says a history book, I don't really care which one. It just says a, it says a world atlas. I don't really care which one. But it just says a comic book. And I'm like, that is such a broad thing. And I can't find anywhere what comic book they put in this time capsule. Maybe it's the comic book we're talking about today. I don't know, because <laughs> it came out in April of 92. But I think the most likely option, Death of Superman doesn't happen till November. So it's not that. What else was big that year? Uh, that, that was the big 92 event that I could remember, but it doesn't happen until November, and this was April. I think a good pick would have been X-Men Volume 2, Issue 1. It was oh, published, yeah. it was published in October of 91, so it would have been out. And it is still to this day, at least according to one website I read, the number one, the best-selling comic book of all time. It sold like 8 million copies. It's insane how many copies that comic sold. So it's it, there's a good chance it's X-Men Volume 2 number one. <laughs> it's going to turn out it's an Archie comic. Spawn number one came out in May of 92. So they were one month off from that, even though like I don't think they would have known Spawn was popular until a couple of months after that. So. I was going to say, it was, eh, I picked this up, threw it in there. <laughs> And then also in the time capsule is a Nicktoons t-shirt featuring Ren and Stimpy, a piece of the Berlin Wall, a Barbie doll, a skateboard, a baseball. <laughs> like, did they think we weren't going to have baseball in, or, or what was the other thing? A skateboard? We're not going to have skateboards in 2042? Skateboards might be in the Olympics by 2042. <laughs> Twinkies are a, a, ba a pack of Twinkies, bag of Twinkies, however you want to say that, a stick of gum. And then the last thing they put in the time capsule was the sh uh, a video of the show where they made the time capsule. And they put that in there and they sealed it up. And a kid. They put a kid in the time capsule. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. We're a kid's, and, and we're a kid's channel. <laughs> Soul of Gozer. All hell will be unleashed in 2042, back to Nickelodeon. <laughs> 30 years from now. So Saturday Night Live from April of 92. April 11th, it was hosted by Sharon Stone with musical guest Pearl Jam. That's a good 90s episode. April 18th, it was hosted by Jerry Seinfeld with musical guest Annie Lennox. Don't know who that is. Uh, she was in the Eurythmics. Well, she wasn't with the Eurythmics that week. <laughs> <laughs> and that is all the blah, 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 yakety schmackety I got for April of 1992. Let's dive into this comic book. So, Sean, where can we find this comic book? You ready? This is maddening. Yep. From the title, you know it's a two-parter. You can find this in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Classics Volume 7, but you cannot get the issue after it <laughs> in a collection. Oh, no. So, comics. That's where, the big, that's where the big reveal is. 
<laughs> We're gonna get to I, that. I, in a I, went, I went through it multiple times and went. So you went from seven to eight, <laughs> and eight does not have the next part. Okay, that's a shame. <laughs> so as Sean said, this is part one of a two-part story. And my first note is that it's so nice to see a story that has the appropriate amount of issues. It's not dragged out for three, because every time we had one dragged out for three, we were always like, at least one of these could have could go. Sometimes it was part one, sometimes it was part two, but there was always some filler. And it's not crammed into one issue. Like, a few of these we've done where there's like, 10 panels on every page and it's 40 pages long because they are cramming what should have been a three-part story into one book. This is the appropriate amount of story in the appropriate amount of comic. It is so refreshing to see. It's nice to have pacing back. Yes, exactly. So what did you think of the cover? I love the cover. It's very... Orange? <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that you say that, but <laughs> it just reminds me of the, like, the first ten issues of the the book. Like, I just really like it. It It's relevant to the story, which you like. Raph's size are basically short swords. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and again, Raph and Leo are front and center, and Mikey and Donnie are just in the back, like, why are we here? And the character Raph is fighting, so it's they're kind of doing like a pushing contest on the cover, uh, or a sumo mat, a sumo wrestling match where they're trying to like push each other out of the ring. So they're in like they're in a grassy field and they're pushing at each other. It's Raphael and what looks like the most roided out dinosaur you've ever seen. He's got the craziest bane from Batman muscles, and he's wearing like a a gi, a karate gi. The the dinosaur guy, to me, looks like something that you'd see in a later Mortal Kombat game where they just get out yeah. of control with the character designs. <laughs> like in the big, I feel like when Mortal Kombat started, the designs were very simple, and the further you go into Mortal Kombat, the more outlandish the. I mean, I know you had Goro at the beginning, but he wasn't a selectable character. The main roster that you could choose from were regular looking at least people and then you slowly branch out you slowly start adding like people with knives for arms and people with crazy fang teeth and then before you know it you've got these like giant roided out dinosaurs it's a slippery slope so better than mocap in the first games no that's a character in one of the later games his name is mocap it's a mocap suit guy. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> that was the we've run out of ideas phase of Mortal Kombat. I'm not a fan of that. So the issue begins in Japan in 1373. And we see a huge samurai kind of strolling into town. He enters this village and as soon as the guards see who he is... They're basically like, oh, sorry, sorry for guarding. Sorry for doing our jobs. We'll get out of your way. They, I like this quote here. He says, serpent's blood. Yeah. Like, yes, instead of my I God, really he's like, like serpent's blood. Uh, A thousand pardons, sir. 
And then he says, the master awaits you. So the samurai strolls in and we see the, who the master is, is, well, first we see that the samurai is a monster lizard man. And we learn that his name is Chote. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. C-H-O-T-E. We all know my pronunciation has been historically terrible. That's how I read it. I, I don't know what, unless someone's going to email us and be like, it's no, Cote. it's actually Cote. <laughs> no, I'm going with Chote. So he's greeted pretty angrily. Not angrily, but you, you can just tell this guy's stewing, though, by by the master, who's an equally large fellow, decked out in samurai armor and, like, and horns. Pajama pants. And that was my next <laughs> sentence. And not pajama pants, cosmic Spider-Man pants. Oh. You know, the, the cosmic Spider-Man outfit? That's what his pants are. Like, you could, you see outer space in his pants. And I like to... how he has, like, uncomfortable armor on everywhere else, really yeah. comfortable pants. <laughs> well, I think that's supposed to let you know that he's a wizard, or he has magic of some sort, like, right away. Oh, yeah, like in King <laughs> Arthur when it's revealed that, you know, Merlin's wearing magical sweatpants. Well, Merlin has basically that design on his pointy hat. You can't be a wizard without one... a space hat. <laughs> That one point in uh, the Lord of the Rings, just before Gandalf comes back as the white, and he's debating between that and a really nice jogging outfit. Well, he's he's at home, you know. He's relaxing in his pajamas. He's probably had a hard day at work being a evil samurai magician. You, you know that work never ends. That's like ten hour days when you work as an evil samurai this. magician. I'm almost... You're on call all the time. You can see his beeper. <laughs> I'm just almost surprised he's not in his parents' basement. With a bunch of, like, a bunch of books behind him. <laughs> like, just on the couch, there's bags of chips and pizza boxes. And... <laughs> so, do we want to ruin the twist? Or, uh, I couldn't decide if if we should mention this here for our listeners, or... We might as well. So... Looking it's clearly at him, Savante Romero. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there's no surprise. I mean, if this is the first Turtles book you've read, yes, surprise. But if you've been following along with us, and they made it a point to say what time in history it is right now, and you see how he's decked out, it's clearly Savante Romero. <laughs> they want you to think he's wearing a mask, but he's ba- and he is, but he's basically wearing his face as a mask. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing this demon face with the horns, and he has a demon face with the horns. It's not much of a disguise. Which is funny, because his main henchman is a giant dinosaur man. So of all the people who should be okay to see what he looks like, that guy is probably up there. And it's just, it's funny that I never really put together until this comic how much his face normally looks like those traditional angry samurai mask faces. Yeah. But it's there. Right there. Right for you to see. I was very, very happy to see that one of my favorite villain characters is the center of this two-parter. 
Well, at this point, he's more of their nemesis than Shredder is. So he should be your favorite villain character. At this point in the comics we've read, if you're not counting the cartoon show which has started or the adventure comics, if you're going off the in the Mirage universe, they have definitely squared off against Savanti Romero more than they only did the real Shredder once and then they had those clone Shredders and that was it. And like kind of a problem I have with that is that's a perfect way to talk about the feel that the Mirage comics give that's a little off from where the franchise would eventually go is he can't be their nemesis because he's clearly Renette's nemesis. Yeah. So for the majority of the Mirage run, the turtles are just characters in somebody else's story. And every week that somebody else is somebody new. And a lot of times it's Renette and we're fighting Savante Romero. But yeah, it's, that's just like, I think that overall sums up kind of why I prefer when we get to volume two and continuity is just solid and it's just, this is the universe, no more guest era, what if stuff. And we're focusing on the turtles and they're the main characters that I, I like when we get there. And I like the first 10 issues, like I've said on here a few times, because that focuses on the turtles. I think and it's funny this whole two-part story. He, he not once mentions Juliet's attempts to avenge him. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know. Because, like, the time, the, the time travel thing makes things so weird because we haven't said yet, but eventually Renette's going to show up in this comic. And the Renette that shows up is an earlier version of Renette than the one we saw last time. Because time travel is confusing. Because last time she had been promoted to, what was it? It was Timestress Supreme or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. and she she had Lord Simultaneous. She had his job. And now she doesn't. So this Renette is from an earlier point in time than that one. Time travel. So part Almost of what as I... hard as pizza math. <laughs> part of what I love about this issue as we're getting back into it, so... Savante Romero leaves the room because he's disappointed. And he's talking about how his magic is weak. And I I just really love his evil plan. So he's going to wipe out the Gozi samurai from the face of the earth, which goes back to issue nine, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. So basically where we left off here, the choked came in, saw this samurai guy stewing and he demands to know the samurai is like, why are you so late? And choked explains that he was basically out fighting Oraga's men that introduces this character. And he tells him that Oraga has many allies, but uh, his mind is in constant turmoil and the samurai lord starts laughing and is basically like, ah, my magic's working. We're going to win. I'm confusing his brain. And and uh, he, he says while his magic is weak, he will use every last bit of it to wrestle the secrets from Oraga's mind. And then if I fail, he says, I'll be trapped in the primitive country. But if I win... I'll finally be free. 
and I'll wipe the Gozai Samurai from the face of the earth. Cut to Massachusetts, modern day. Donatello and Raphael, they're playing Scrabble, and Don plays Fid, which is a tool used by sailors to splice ropes together. The more you know. Raph, Raph deals with it in a very rational, calm way. There's no way he would ever do such a thing. He, he flips it. It's a three-letter. It, 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 not much. What did he, he got like ten points for it? It was five points on a double word score or something like that? I, I, I think it's more that Donnie took so long to come up with that word. Yeah. Ten points isn't going to win you a Scrabble match. Calm down, Raph. <laughs> but I just as always, he, he flipped the table. They don't show it, but I just assume that's what happened. And like every time we see the turtles enjoying life, it has to be interrupted by something terrible. And sure enough, they hear a noise, they go downstairs, they see Master Splinter and Leonardo. They found the body of Hattori, who was the man, like Sean said, from issue number nine. He collapsed in their their living room. Issue number nine was pre-Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So you can go back. We did a coverage on that if you want to hear all about that issue. So I don't know if it's my absolute favorite, but this is one of my favorite um, versions of Splinter visually. I just really like it. I love the the yin and yang on his gi. Like, I love, and I, I was going to say this when when Renette shows up, that I always talk about how sometimes they draw him looking like a dog, and she specifically calls it out when she shows up. She says, even though you kind of look like a dog... But here I disagree. I was like, no, this isn't Dog Splinter. They've drawn Dog Splinter before, and this isn't it. This is the Splinter I like. Yeah, to me, it almost it, it almost looks like a Mirage take on the animated Splinter. Yes. Yeah, it's a really good design for him. And I like the Turtles, too. There's a really good... We sometimes gloss over that. We only kind of mention it when we don't like it. I... They're... Very basic, but it works designs for the Turtles here. It looks like the earlier issues, which makes sense because they worked on the earlier issues. So, so Hattori, so they prop up Hattori in the, in the chair and he explains that the Gozai legacy he received in issue nine has unhinged his mind. And Splinter mentions that Hattori's grandfather was afraid that this was going to happen basically, but they had to do it because of you know, go, it's basically saying go read issue nine. <laughs> like, then they had no choice but to do it. So Master it's Splinter. Really, really great panel. Tori's in the chair and Leo and I assume Mikey are trying to like, you know, put a blanket on him or whatever and Splinter's to the side. But the way it's drawn, it looks like Hitori has a tail and not Splinter. <laughs> yeah, I see that. <laughs> So Master Splinter, he probes Hattori's mind to see what's troubling him, and he sees that that Samurai Lord we were talking about has somehow managed to change history. So he doesn't know what evil presence, what that evil presence has planned. He does know that the only solution is them going back to feudal Japan and stopping him. This is the second time they've kind of done this, where they're like, basically like. So the only way to solve this is time travel. 
time travel, like, they're just, like, hoping for Renette to show up, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like they have a way Five to call her. Five days go by. <laughs> yeah, like, they don't have a way to call her or anything. But while they're basically doing that, of course she shows up right on cue. And she explains that everything that's being done by the Samurai Lord in the past is affecting Hattori now, everything we just knew. And she explains that she'll take the turtles back in time to fix everything that's been all messed up. And Splinter says that he'll stay behind to take care of Hattori. And this should have been the third movie. Like we say, every time Renette shows up. But I feel like this two-parter is the best candidate so far that we've had for what my ideal Ninja Turtles 3, if I could like just tweak it a little, what it would be. This two-part story would have been a perfect Ninja Turtles 3. It makes me wonder, because we're in April of 92, that movie comes out in 93, so I'm wondering where they were in the process, and how no yeah. one was like, eh, this comic, right here. No? Okay. That's a good point. The script for the third movie was probably already done. Well, I'm just saying, I, I, I'm still, or even when this was being written, I don't know, I'm just surprised it turned out the way it turned out. But one of the things I really love about this issue that dates it like crazy is even though she's from the future, Renette has a written list. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's going through it to figure out which version of the Turtles and Splinter this is. Yeah, she doesn't pull out her iPhone and open her notes section. <laughs> so as soon as they arrive in the past, the Ninja Turtles find themselves right in the heat of battle, which is another thing I feel like we've said before on this show. That's kind of how these things go. So they show up, they're right in the heat of battle, and Chote, the dinosaur ninja, the dinosaur samurai, sorry, slaughters a lot of the Gozai samurai, who are going to be the army that we're trying to help. And right away, they they kind of recognize that the turtles are helping them. And they're like, yay, help has arrived, hooray. They're kind of like on the ropes. So throughout this fight, back to something that, you know, just hasn't stuck out to me in a while. I love the page layouts for the fight and the fact yeah. that they have the turtles' weapons overlap panels. Yeah, that's really cool. It, like it, I don't know what about it I like. I just know I like it. You know what I mean? Like it just creates this like third dimension to the book. It gives it kinetic energy. Yes, that's a good way to say it. And basically, the turtles, like I said, they're helping the Gozai samurai, and they they get the other warriors to flee. And once they do, Toraga who is the the leader of the Gozai, confronts the turtles, and he demands to know what sort of magical beasts they are. And Leonardo explains that they're, they're not magical, they're ninjas. He thanks the Ninja Turtles for their help, and Leo tells Turaga that the turtles have been sent by their sensei, sensei to help the Gozai master, but the samurai captain is like, it's probably already too late. So he's disappointed that they're not magical, and he's like, hey, this guy's a real bummer. <laughs> this guy's like, oh, you're not magical, it's already too late, all is lost. Is this the first instance of them going back to feudal Japan 
and the samurai not assuming they're kappa? It might be. They're they're done playing the kappa card. Can't play that kappa card constantly. So later, Choate is, and remember, Choate is the dinosaur man. He is back at the samurai lord's village, and he is asking the guy we know is Savante Romero, but we're not supposed to know it yet. Uh, <laughs> he's he's basically like, we need to get out of here before the Gozai discover our location. And he he tells him about the four turtles and their golden-haired uh, companion. Right away, the news enrages the magician that we don't know is Savante Romero, but we do. And he... <laughs> He's, I mean, Renette's the biggest give, the second biggest giveaway after the fact that the mask looks exactly like him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the news enrages the magician and he strikes, uh, he, he knocks the guy down, knocks Choke to the ground and tells him to bring the turtles and Renette to him alive to be continued. Whatever happened to, you know, villains punching their henchmen? I feel like they don't do that and stuff anymore. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. You're right. You're absolutely it, it's right. A, it's a trope you don't realize is a trope until it's gone. Now they all have good health care plans. And they well, they have, a, it, they have an hour that, lunch. If you go by the MCU, they don't just, like, slap the henchmen. They just go right to the death laser now. Overall, I, I really like this issue. Let me check notes here, see if I had anything else to say. It says Choate is the same character as the Shogun Shoti from the Playmates Ninja Turtles toy line. So if we were talking about toys today, that's the one we probably would have done. And oh, and we forgot to mention that Renette uh mentions uh Terminator 2 Judgment Day. She says she cleaned up the Sarah she said she just got back from cleaning up that Sarah Connor mess in LA. Whoa. <laughs> so another time travel reference. But overall, it was a really good issue. I really liked it. I gave it a, I mean, this is going to sound low after what I said, but I gave it a 3.6 out of 5, which is 72%, just because I liked it, but it was a lot of stuff I've already seen before. I I more like the feeling that we're back on track than I like the actual comic itself you know what i mean like i like that okay we're back we're going to start focusing on the turtles a little more there's going to be continuity going forward the the pacing is good but overall it was just a lot of references to other stuff more renette and savanti romero more the guy from issue nine just stuff we've seen but it's a good issue i, I definitely recommend people read it you're gonna think i'm crazy but it's a 4.9 I mean, you, I could totally see it going there. It's not. We, we haven't. We agree. It's not five. a five. Yeah. It's not a perfect. Yeah, <laughs> but. But no, I just I again I I'm biased. I really like Savante Romero and Renette when they show up. Issue nine was one of my favorite issues of the book. Period. Mm-hmm. So the fact it connects to that, I don't know. I just strong all around. See, and that's probably where we differ because I didn't really like issue nine that much. So, I mean, I didn't hate it, but it was, I feel like about the same as this. So like, maybe that's where, maybe that's where the disconnect is. It's it's like you said, it's great to have an issue that has no filler. Yep. You know, there's, 
no added panels for the sake of added panels. You know, they, they could have dragged out the introduction of the samurai for six pages. Instead, they just did, you know, here he is. He's in town. What are you doing? Oh, oh, it's you. Oh, serpent's blood. And then. <laughs> or like they could have drawn, like really drawn the battle out for like three pages before the turtles showed up, things like that. Yep. So yeah, they don't overstay their welcome for sure. And that's, that's definitely a good plus to this. So it, it for me, it's great turtles. It's not perfect, but it's great turtles. So those are our thoughts on this issue. And we've been rotating this second, 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 second. We've been rotating the second segment of the podcast for a while now. One thing we definitely need to talk about, being Turtle fans, is we need to dive into the thing that probably brought 90% of us to the Turtles. And then the other 10% is the movies. But the original cartoon, the 1987 cartoon, is where so many people got into the Turtles and I thought it would be great to talk about the first season as a whole this week because, you know, there's only five episodes. It didn't make sense to go episode by episode. And if you want a podcast that goes episode by episode, go listen to Turtle Tracks. I mean, Turtle Recall, sorry. Go listen to Turtle Recall. If Turtle Tracks is a podcast, listen to them too. I don't think it is. But <laughs> but go listen to Turtle Recall. Uh, they They do each episode of the 1987 cartoon show, one episode at a time. And I, I said Turtle Tracks because that's what I'm looking at on my screen here is the title of the first episode. I was going to say, yeah. it's the first episode. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're going to talk about the first five episodes, which is the first season. It it does this thing where, like, it's really all kind of one story. Like, it... It has some great interconnected continuity to it, where each episode kind of references what happened in the previous episode, at the very least. I almost feel like if if Ninja Turtles was a totally new thing now, and say Nickelodeon, since they're the ones that have the rights right now, this would be like a, just a super episode. Like, they just have all five at once. Like, they'd make a big marketing deal out of it, and it'd be an event, and it would just be, here's all these episodes together. Did it originally air that way, I think? Or no, they did, like, one a, one a, one a day for, like, a full week yeah. the, the first time yeah. it aired. Yeah. I don't remember... I don't remember ads for this when it came out. I don't remember watching the first five on TV. Well, here's the thing. We got, I put out on Twitter asking our listeners if they had any thoughts. And let me just pull up the responses we got. Cause somebody did mention that. We got Chris X on Twitter. He said, I remember seeing the toy commercial during the summer before the show came out and buying Leonardo at Oscar, at Osco Drug and then being psyched when I found out there was going to be a show. He said he missed the first five minutes of episodes of episode one because he was furiously flipping around the dial trying to figure out which channel it was and says, I vividly remember this, even though I was seven, I remember my dad saying, is this it? And I kept screaming, no, keep going. I remember like, I remember it like it was yesterday. 
it was not even though it was 1987. Very few shows, if any, have had that effect on me. That's so, very cool, and takes me back to a time where Dad was in charge of changing the channels on the TV. <laughs> and we got an email from Larry that says, This was the greatest five-episode introduction to any show ever. It has an incredibly dark and gritty vibe with the intro, and it holds true for exactly these five episodes, because... The episode, I don't know if they talk about this on Turtle Recall, but the animation quality does dip a little after this first season. So I think that's what they're referring to here. I had these VHS tapes, and despite them presenting the fourth and third episodes, oh, so yeah, the fourth and third episodes, I had a note about that too, are out of order on that first VHS tape. I says, this is... What introduced me to TMNT the week before I turned six years old, and that put them square in my wheelhouse. Everything was turtles after that. I begged for them and got them for Christmas. Last year's Master of the Universe became my foot soldiers. I reenacted every scene from the first season, and I played it over and over again. It took forever, says Squints from Sandlot. Hey, I did it right. Forever. For season two to come out, and it was not nearly as good. They tried to recreate season one formula of the long arc over several episodes, but felt very, but fell very short with the weak plots that were ripped off from 80s cult classics. Season one will forever be first, last, and everything. This coming from a guy who thinks the 2012 series is the very best version of the Turtles. My favorite episodes of all ten seasons is the Shredder is splintered because it is nonstop action that puts a bow on the previous four episodes. Episode one and episode two are both very good because the great fights and intro of the new enemies, the attack of the Mousers, were fun for developing characters and letting you know who was on whose team. And then he just goes on to compliment us, so I'm not going to read that because that's kind of... But thank you very much for the compliments. Uh, we, <laughs> we love having listeners get in contact with us. Uh, it feels kind of embarrassing to read on air people saying like, oh, I love your podcast, this, the, the other thing. So I'm going to leave that part out. But yeah, thank you for the email. And guys, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to to say this. You know what order we're going to be doing the comics in. We go in order. So if you ever have any thoughts on what the next issue is going to be like if you have thoughts on issue 47 right now that we'll be talking about next week feel free to email us at tmntnerds at gmail.com or tweet at us or get at us on instagram whatever you want to do because we're going in order so you always know what the next book's going to be and if you have thoughts on the comics let us know so yeah yeah it's always great to hear from listeners and i boy i, I wish i had a memory like that like that's a really detailed memory from being six years old. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, we were only three at the time, so. That's what I, I, I think that's part of why I don't remember it premiering, and I, I feel like. I think at around age four, like, when it was on Saturday morning cartoons is probably when you and I got invested. I so we probably jumped in halfway into season two. So I don't remember when I saw the first five episodes originally, but it was probably the VHS collection. 
I was going to say that. I think that's where I got involved was the VHSs. And especially, you remember Burger King had those VHSs that yeah. they gave away that had a lot of like earlier episodes on it. So Turtle Tracks is the first episode. And it's, uh, it's basically, you know, it introduces the turtles. It's got kind of a similar thing going to the, the 1990 movie where April is doing a news story and she gets attacked. One thing that always stands out to me about the first episode is what is going on with the car that they, they, you know, the car in the very beginning, it's, it's drawn like that person has never seen a car before in their life. Like what the heck? It's so weird looking. I don't understand how that like made it into the cartoon that way. When I went back and rewatched it, the first thing that stuck out to me, and I, I I don't think turtle recalls ever brought this up, but in the opening theme, when they show Mikey, like, hitting stuff in the sewer. Yeah. There's a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a baseball and all this, like, harmless stuff, but there's also a grenade he knocks away. I'm like, I, I never noticed away. that before. I like that right from the beginning, this is something that I've always talked about, is, like, right away, almost like two minutes into the cartoon, you see Shredder watching them on his little computer screen. How does he have the ability to just see everything from any angle he ever wants, any point in the city, he can just pull up on that computer? He's got a god computer. Like, he sees April's news crew wrapping up the news report. Like, you know what I mean? And it's, like, from, like, like pointed, like, inside the van. I, I think one of the other things these first five do, but the first one especially, Shredder actually is a threat. And I yes. feel like He's he never feels like one after these five episodes. I also think that there's there's this point where you see they're in a warehouse and they're talking about how that's when April's doing her news reports about the ninja robberies that have been happening. The ninja rope. The ninja rope <laughs> that was made in Japan, that gag. Uh I think that that warehouse was the inspiration for the first level of the NES game. Like the boxes, uh-huh. like it Maybe. all, it all looks exactly like that warehouse, which is funny because it's something that's in the cartoon for like three seconds. I, and I, I always, be- I always end up forgetting that the mutagen was purple originally because we're so used to seeing it be green. Oh, yeah. That's yep. an interesting thing that hits me on the side of the head every time. <laughs> I think the first episode really lays the concept out well. I like right at the beginning that they do the foot soldier reveal as being robots. Yep. I like Uh, that they add this thing that the comics didn't have at the time of how the mutagen works, where whatever animal you were like most recently in contact with, it mutates you with, even though it doesn't make sense when they, they explain it because what they say is because the turtles were most recently in contact with Yoshi, they became human-like. But Yoshi was most recently in contact with the rats. Wouldn't he have most... It doesn't make sense. He would have most recently been in contact with the turtles. But it makes more sense than out of the shadows whole, well, your inner animal. Oh, my God. (laughs) Despite the... So, I... I love the designs of the gang in the first episode, like how distinct each one of them is. 
Yeah. So I feel like I feel like Bebop keeps changing race through the first episode. Oh, I didn't notice that. You're probably right, though. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. it. It's a great setup. You know, right out the gate, Vern's a wuss. He's just totally yeah. okay with leaving all that equipment. That, that was something. Into the sewer. <laughs> yeah, like I, no, this is the episode where she runs into the wall that she clearly should have been able to see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, and he just leaves her to get mugged. Like that's crazy. At least in the movie, and, nobody knew she was getting mugged. And I mean, this goes back to just something we both like, but the turtle heights are good. Yeah, they're nice and short. And even the way they're introduced is great. You know, in Shadow, and they come out and they fight the gang, and yeah, you know they they bring you know April to the lair, and she meets Splinter. So I don't know. It's just a very strong first episode that makes you want to keep watching it through the next four. I always laugh at the part where April wants... So they go to the Ninja Pizzeria while they're trying to find... You know, they're trying to investigate the case. And I think it's crazy how April stumbles on the Foot Clan headquarters that at the security business. Because she just kind of wanders in and, and finds it right away. It, it reminds me... I always think about this analogy where I'm like, it would be like if in the first Legend of Zelda game... You know how the first thing you do is you walk up in the cave and that old man says, it's dangerous to go alone, take this. Like, what if instead you walked up into that cave and you just fought Ganon right there? (laughs) What if it was Breath of the Wild already? Yeah, exactly. But the rest of Hyrule is still programmed into the game. (laughs) Like, it's so weird that she just walks in and, oh, yep, this is the Foot Clan headquarters. But I like that April started out as competent too. Feels less damsel in distress the first five episodes. And then they just kind of gave up on that. <laughs> they needed motivation for the turtles to go places. And unfortunately they made her it a bunch of times. <laughs> then the, the next episode, one, enter the shredder. shredder. Yeah. Which was the name of one of the VHS copies. It starts uh, with them sparring and Splinter saying, Michelangelo, remember to to be patient or something like that. And then after the match, Splinter has this thing where he's like, Michelangelo needs to learn patience. That has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. (laughs) It never comes up again. Uh, This episode introduced Krang and Dimension X, which... Well, they're trying to find the Technodrome in the sewers, and another thing that stood out to me is, so they find the big cavern where the Technodrome used to be, and Raphael says, a hot dog stand would really clean up in a place like this? What does that mean? There's nobody there. He's being snarky, it's his thing. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) There's nobody there, why would a hot dog stand clean up? Is he saying it's like an empty baseball stadium? But then it, no, they they probably originally was like he'll do non sequiturs and they're like no the but that one makes, makes no sense. sense. <laughs> I know, but I like how they introduce all this stuff. I I guess that's the thing too is everything is is introduced naturally. 
Yeah, they mutate the they they have these people who are originally just like punks, and Shredder goes to get them to volunteer to be mutated. And I like that they basically have like a college dorm on the Technodrome. <laughs> like they've got like yep. sideways posters on the wall, and they're sitting in like beanbag chairs watching TV. It's like totally the like eighties kids cartoon idea of what being in a gang is like. <laughs> so cool, man. So they're, cool. They're not at jobs. Wondered, they're just sitting around. I always wondered if the rest of those guys were just forever waiting in that room. For well, you see one back. of them. You see one of them in the fifth episode get yeah, yeah. having the time of their lives while all this crazy stuff's going on outside. There's a weird part to me when April goes back to work and her boss puts her on the the news story about how animals were stolen from the zoo. And at first she like complains about it. She's like, oh, I don't want to do this zoo story. I want to do my technodrome thing. If somebody kidnapped, because she's saying it's like a boring story. If somebody kidnapped animals from the zoo, that would be a pretty crazy news story. <laughs> like imagine if if animals were going missing from the zoo, that would be insane. And then, like, she's acting like they're asking her to cover, like, old men playing chess in the park. But then in the next scene, she walks up to the turtles, and, and she's like, hey, these animals got taken from the zoo. That's probably a good lead. Like, she put it together between scenes, it seems like, without us understanding why she's all of a sudden excited about it. I have to say that the robots that capture the rhino and the warthog they're very well designed for that task, apparently useless against ninja weapons. But the <laughs> fact they were able to actually take both of those animals is impressive to me. Though I, I've never understood, like, did they just kind of lead them down the earth? <laughs> like, I've never understood how they got them to the Technodrome. It's not like they set a, like if they set one of the modules up, at least yeah. it'd be like, oh, they put it in the module. It's like, nope. Robot came up, lassoed it, and then walked it back to the technature. They didn't even have the modules designed completely yet, because in one episode, I don't know if you noticed, it was made like an elevator. Like this giant like tube went up yeah. from the technodrome up to the top, and then the tube like telescope collapsed back into the technodrome. It wasn't its own little module. Yep. That's also the episode where Donatello yells turtles fight with honor out of nowhere when he's fighting the machines. And I think one of our earlier podcasts mentioned that I think that's a nod to something in the comics. Like I think in issue two, I should have looked this up. I think in issue two, they yell something about fighting with honor. And this is just an out-of-nowhere reference to that. It doesn't apply to what's happening to him at the time, though. He just randomly screams, Turtles, fight with honor! It's out of place to the point where you wait for the other three to just stop and go, Donnie, what the heck are you doing? We're fighting robots. There's no honor involved here. <laughs> and then you've got a thing about rats, which was the third episode, it, which was the one that was edited out of the Epic Begins VHS, and then also put in out of order, like our email said, on, on a different VHS tape, tape. They, they get their, uh, they get the beginnings of the turtle van here. 
Baxter Stockman's van. You get the introduction of the Mousers. April just lets us let Splinter, who's a rat from the sewers, lay in her bed, <laughs> which is probably not a good idea. But she does that at one point. She's fine with that, but the disappearing animal story, she. <laughs> but again, she, you know, she's got gumption and whatnot. You know, she's not. Oh God, help me! Constantly, so. Another part that stood out to me is that, so throughout this, Krang has been basically saying that Shredder agreed to design a robot body for him, and he keeps saying, you know, it's time to make my robot body, and there's a part that stands out where he's like, I hope you keep failing and failing and failing until you have no choice but to give me my body. Why can't you just hope he succeeds the first time, and then he can make your robot body? (laughs) It's it's funny looking to think that Krang didn't just make his own robot body. (laughs) Yeah, because I think that's where the foot soldier robot concept comes from, besides the fact that Leonardo can't stab people, is like they're like, Okay, so so Krang's got the army and Shredder has the technology and together they're a team. I should have did a, a counter on the first five episodes of how many sackies there were. <laughs> I'll tell you what they do have in these episodes is some massive sewers. Like, the sewers oh, yeah. in this episode in particular, I wrote down that it's, like, bigger than, like, a four-lane tunnel through Boston. Like, it's giant how big these sewers are. The turtles the are sewers. tiny on these pipes. The sewers are big enough that the Technodrome can roam around and, like... Yep. And New York's not having constant earthquakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It has no seismic, you know... Seismic activity, activity yeah. Like, it's just... it's. I mean, when you're a kid, you don't notice it, obviously. Although, I don't know, kids today are a little more on the ball, I think, than we were, would have been at the time, but... Yeah, the, the sewer's gigantic, and it always baffled me that they were called Mount, and I didn't, you know, at the time, because I didn't know it was based on a comic book, but that they designed a thing called Mousers to catch a rat. I mean, it's all right. Mice rats, most people don't really think about them being different. I mean, it's significantly less horrific than if you go way back and listen to issue two, where, you know. The yeah. mousers that all hold six destroyed, dismembered rats in their system before they have to come back. One note I had here for Turtle Recall is I remember there was an episode where they were wondering what Mikey's chain weapon was because sometimes he doesn't use nunchucks. He uses that thing that's like two weights at the end of a chain. I remember them tweeting about it. Well, in this episode, he's instead of being the nunchuck master, there's a part where Michelangelo says, Michelangelo, master of the Munaiki Gansari. And that's that's what that weapon is. It's a chain with two weights on either end. And he's the it's weird because, you know, Michelangelo, you associate him with nunchucks. It's real. That line really stood out to me that they have him specifically say that he's the master of a different weapon. Which at the time, I guess, is less horrific. I hit people in the ribs with these hard weights than these sticks. 
And I also, there were two YouTube comments, because I watched these on YouTube because I was watching them at work. Uh, but, so, there's two YouTube comments I wanted to reference. Uh, so one is an exchange here, and somebody posted, are we going to ignore that the Mousers destroyed an entire apartment building? Sure, the Ninja Turtles, Splinter, and April made it out, but that was an entire apartment complex. Hundreds of people probably died in that collapse. <laughs> and then somebody replied, they weren't home. <laughs> that made me laugh. But yeah, it's this giant building that you see collapse in the episode. And then another Everybody comment. Another comment I thought was funny. This is just from a month ago. Uh, somebody wrote, they made Baxter Stockman a white guy? Like, the, <laughs> the last horse crosses the finish line. Like, we noticed this in 1987, dude. Where have you been? <laughs> this is from a month ago. So then you've got Hot Rodding Teenagers from Dimension X. This is my favorite episode of season one because I love Stone Soldiers. I love the weather satellite thing they have because you know I love snow. Uh, I love the neutrinos. I love everything about this episode. We need more neutrinos in Ninja Turtles. I disagree, but... There's... And also in this episode is something that has a Mandela effect for me. The the rock soldiers, when they come through Dimension X, they get into a Techno Rover, right? I swear I remember there being a toy of this thing. And from what I can find, there was not. There was concept art for a toy of it, but the internet tells me they never made this toy that I definitely remember seeing. But apparently it doesn't exist. I looked. I I don't really like the neutrinos because their voices bother me. No, they're the the what's that mystery science theater movie with the the beatniks? I killed that bat fat barkeep. <laughs> I love well, the, this. That is a good episode. That, this would have <laughs> been free MST three K for me, but no the the number one thing I remember about this episode. Is the VHS ad for it? What about it? Like that's all I re- really remembered, other than when I rewatched it. Is I distinctly remember seeing an ad and hot rodding teenagers from Dimension X. The good title. It is a good title. Probably, think- actually, it's the best title of the first five episodes. One thing I think is funny is when the police show up and they're trying to stop the rock soldiers, the or the military, whatever it is. No, it's it's police. He says the bullets aren't stopping them. So he says bullets, and they're clearly using like one cop clearly has a shotgun, but they're all they all have like laser big laser beams coming out of them. It's it's like a so such a funny like this is clearly a sensor note moment. It's so, like, the bullets aren't stopping them with these giant light rays shooting out. That that never stuck out to me, because that was just, like, an 80s cartoon thing. I think I've been watching too much Batman the Animated Series. I was going to say, it wasn't until that came out and you were like, wait, no, they're using bullets. You know where I think they went too far in this? Not the bullets. Not anything like that. The weird instant connection Mikey has to Kala, Kala, 
Like, it's it's out of nowhere, and if you look when they leave, they even do, like, a single-frame animation where it looks like he's, like, crying about her leaving. And, like, dude, you've known this girl, like, ten minutes. What is going on here? And I like the part where uh, they were putting the turtle, they were working on the van, and Donatello says, but us, turtles, outcasts of society... Why do we have to stand alone against the forces of evil? And Michelangelo says, face it, man. It's the only job we're qualified for. <laughs> that went over. I love that part. And they gets back to work. And then last, but certainly not least, Shredder and Splintered, or Shredded and Splintered on the DVD, which I think is what they meant the title to be. Shredded and Splintered is a better title than Shredder and Splintered. Either way, it's the best episode of the five. According to you in the email, but not me. I like the I like the neutrinos. I would put it second best. I like it a lot, but I love everything in that. I, there's so much snow in that last episode. <laughs> I love snow. I mean, granted, Sh- Shredder's message to the turtles of, I'll turn your sensei back into a human. Okay? And? <laughs> it's not like it's something the turtles are actively trying to accomplish so they, they should have just taken the win with that this is also the first time we see Krang's new body and something people don't talk about a lot is that the Krang design it's very unique like the, no one ever talks about how it was created just for this show you know what I mean? It's it's something that is so, like, ingrained in our basic understanding of what Ninja Turtles is that you forget that, like, somebody had to design that for this cartoon. And it's it's a great design. It, it's got, like, like, it definitely has some He-Man influences in there. It kind of looks like where Krang hangs out is, like, the weight belt. And yeah. It's, I don't know, it's a really cool design. I like that it's yawning when he wakes up with it, and it's actually making, every now and then, like, the mouth part at the top will make noises and just be like, boo. Like, it's like it's got its own personality. It's weird. It's like the, oh, I can't think of it now, the, the disembodied robot that would carry Nixon's head around on Futurama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even as a kid, I wasn't a huge fan of the design of Krang's android body because it was so He-Man-like. Oh, okay. Like, I don't know, he just... This is going to sound stupid. It looks silly. Like, he looks like a... It looks more like he's getting ready to be in a wrestling match. Like, he's got the the trunks and then the, the ridiculous... I know they're just the hands, but they look like he's got gloves on, and then it looks like he's got booties on instead of, like, actual boots. I don't know. It, it, I think they've done better designs of it later on. But at the time, I wanted the toy. Well, if you didn't want that toy, we also got the turtle blimp in this episode, making its first appearance. And then I feel like almost every episode after that for a while, there was yeah. a turtle blimp. <laughs> Kids love blimps. <laughs> put them in here, we'll put them in Batman. Blimps all over the 90s. There's also the, 
the line, there's always a line in each episode that stands out. In this episode for me, so Splinter and Shredder are fighting, and the eye roll, what the heck are you talking about line is what uh, Splinter says, gentle always turns away strong. What are you talking about? I'm just trying to make sense of that. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. He's fighting and basically telling Shredder that he's evil and that evil never wins. But the way that he says evil never wins is he says gentle always turns away strong. Which, even just from a <laughs> physics point of view, it doesn't make any sense. You need to be greater than the force being applied to move <laughs> to move the object. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It probably was one of those, that sounds really deep. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, I remember at one point I wanted to do a thing where I, like, put together, like, Splinter's wisdom, and I, like, collected it from different, like, turtle forms, but I quickly found out that it doesn't happen a lot, and when he does give out little bits of wisdom, sometimes it makes no sense like this. That's pretty consistent with this version of Splinter. Yep. Absolutely. I, I mean, I I like that him and Shredder fight. Like, I like that it's not up to the turtles to defeat Shredder. Yeah, definitely. Like the this and Ghostbusters were the two biggest cartoons from my childhood, and they definitely started it off here in a big way. I think I definitely had that VHS tape where it has the whole first five because I've got, even though I didn't watch them when they first aired, I've got a lot of strong memories of these first five episodes. So I think I probably, I think I probably caught it Saturday morning and got obsessed with it. And then my parents bought me the VHS tape because you didn't care about what order episodes were in when you were a kid at all. No, I I wouldn't even notice. Yeah. But it's, it's funny to me that the cartoon had a big impact on me and everything, but it just, for whatever reason, don't have as strong memories of it as I do of the toys, the video games, and the movies. And it wasn't like I wasn't watching the show consistently, because I was. Because I, I, I've recently gone through the whole series, and I feel like my memories are strong for season one, which kind of you could just lump in with season two, because it's only five episodes. But I think I think season one and two... I've got really strong memories of, and then even when you get into like the syndicate, wasn't season three syndication. Like even that, even that I start to fade. And I think by season four, I'm like, I don't remember any of these. Yeah. Cause it's been a while, but when I rewatched the ghostbusters cartoon, that was the same thing. I get to a point where I was like, I knew it was still on and I was watching it. Yeah. I don't remember any of this. But I can tell you that episode with the trolls on the bridge from Ghostbusters, like the back of my hand. I feel like I've seen that episode. I think it's the second episode. I feel like I've seen it like a hundred times. That's the thing, too, is I I remember watching these on VHS more. So I don't know if I ever saw these episodes broadcast. I mean, I'm sure they reran them, but yeah. I don't have a distinct memory of watching these episodes like I remember the Mutated Cow episode. I remember watching that on TV or Metalhead or uh, 
the robot cop. Like, I remember seeing those episodes on TV. I definitely have strong memories of Shredded and Splintered or Shredder and Splinter. Shredder and Splintered. See, that title, it's a bad title. But uh, I definitely have strong memories of that episode. I remember, like, I remember... trying to use, like, my um, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man as, like, it was a stuffed animal with the little turtle figures as the grown Krang. Um, and, like, I, rem- I remember watching Krang be grown. Like, I remember in the turtle blimp and all that stuff. Like, that's something... I was watching a web series recently where they were talking about the Turtles in Time game. can't remember yeah. what series it was, but they mentioned how like in that first level, how there's the giant Krang that's like shooting the laser beams on the bridge. And they were like, did Krang ever grow in the cartoon? I don't remember that. And I like right away was like, how do you not remember that? That's like one of the only things I remember. (laughs) It's cool to go back and watch the first five and kind of see that they even could have went in a slightly different direction with the series. Because like I said, Shredder is a threat at the beginning. And right when you get to season two, it's just kind of Shredder's incompetent and seems more into science than ninjutsu. That's true. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I don't think Shredder became what we as adults know Shredder as being like the turtle nemesis thing. That's something that happened like in our subconscious from the little bits and pieces over the years that have, you know, in the movie, the cartoon, and the video games, and everything, we, we've we created a Shredder almost that never existed. You know what I mean? It's like an amalgamation of everything. And then eventually IDW makes that one for us. I have a lot of memories of Baxter to the point where I thought he was basically like the third made villain. Yeah, it's funny how he's in one issue of the comics so far. (laughs) Right. It's not in a lot of episodes of the series. when Like we said, Savante Romero is more their nemesis. He's shown up four times now, or five. This might be his fifth appearance. I think it is. Like you said, I I almost feel like that memory of him being an integral villain is more that I had his figure, and he was fighting the (laughs) devils. Yeah. So a bad posture? I don't know. it was a little it was significantly better than the foot soldiers yeah you could get to stand up it was just getting the wings to stay in his back i don't know why they didn't just make that part of his mold but so that's our thoughts on season one and i'm sure we'll bring it up again uh i'm not sure how we're gonna do these like segments on the cartoon going forward, if we're going to tackle five episodes at a time, if we're going to just do season by season, what stood out to us. I was going to say, I almost feel like what stood out each season to us or something. Yeah, that's because, like we said, if you want every episode covered, there's people for that. (laughs) It's good to look back at the cartoon uh, we'll, we'll poke in season by season and, and we're going to keep rotating this second segment here. Next time we'll be talking about something different. Could be talking about toys, could be talking about video games, could be talking about adventure comics. We're going to try to cover all the turtle stuff. Maybe we'll talk about the turtle bed sheets that everybody had. Um, <laughs> I didn't but, have those. I've seen them. Uh, I didn't remember I had them until somebody posted them on Twitter recently and I was like, oh, I totally had these. <laughs> It, like, jogged my memory. So thank thank you, everyone, for listening. 
Uh, sorry we went so long this week, unless you loved it. In that case, you're welcome. And we'll be back next week to talk about the big twist in Masks Part 2. The Ninja Turtle Nerds is a fan-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash tmntnerds. If you'd like to see images of the comics we discussed in this episode, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at tmntnerds. Have a question or comment for us? You can email us at tmntnerds at gmail.com. And if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.